Hello and welcome to the MD DDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and we have made it to episode 20. Two zero. That's exciting to me. We've been doing this for a while now, and thank you for tuning in with us, for listening to this. We are on a week four of our Who is God series, and we're looking at the book, The Attributes of God by A.W. Tozer. We've already looked at several attributes of God. Tonight we have two that come very familiar to anyone who's been going to church for any period of time at all, and that is God's mercy and God's grace. I would argue that there is a depth of understanding that maybe most of us don't possess when it comes to God's mercy and grace. And I think that's what David is going to focus a lot of time on tonight. I look forward to this lesson. David always does a fabulous job. Let's go to David right now. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming tonight. Uh, We're on part four of our Who is God series. And so we've been going through two attributes of God each week. And so this is our fourth week. We're going to talk about God's mercy and grace tonight. Uh, We'll finish up this series um, next week. And then after that, we'll start in a series on apologetics. How do we, how do we know Christianity is true? How can we show uh, non-believers or even believers who are struggling with doubt? How can we kind of help them out uh, thinking about scientific data from the world and even historical and philosophical reasons to, to believe that Christianity is true? So that's the next series. I appreciate you guys coming out. I was thinking, um, I went, Lauren let me go running when I got home this afternoon. Um, well, let's probably the wrong word, but she was with the kids and watched the kids while I went on a run. So I was thinking uh, while I was running just how much I, pr- I appreciate you guys. I think it's a uh, it's kind of cool. I didn't know most of you. I mean, just six months ago or maybe eight months ago, something like that, and already kind of developing like really deep feelings and friendships uh, in here. And so I just appreciate you guys coming. Really have been. I think last week Lauren said I'm just really looking forward to, to seeing everybody tonight. So we Monday nights are kind of a special thing, and appreciate the community that's b- being built here. And hopefully it's a community around things that matter, like the attributes of God, mercy, and grace, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So here's kind of what I want to do tonight, uh, really in three steps. One is something that I think everyone that's talked has, has kind of already done, but I just want to really briefly talk about why this is even a worthy project. Why does it matter that we know God? Um, and then the second thing I want to do is I want to talk about understanding mercy or understanding grace and mercy kind of as abstract concepts. Of course, it's almost hard to talk about grace and mercy without any application to God, but I want to make sure we understand the definitions of grace and mercy um, and kind of what those would mean. And then third and most importantly, I want to apply uh, the concepts of mercy and grace uh, to God himself and how those would play out. So those are the, the three things, and we'll try to do it in that order. Kind of, it, Should we be talking about this tonight, or are we wasting our time? What is grace and mercy, and then how does it apply to God? Also tonight, I want to do things a little differently. Maybe this will, be, this will not happen, but I have less on the paper, so there's less that I've planned to say, but I have some discussion questions built in, so maybe we can talk a little bit more. And also, maybe we'll finish a little early, and I'll give us more time to kind of fellowship and, and kind of share time and dessert together. So, all that being said, let's uh, go ahead and jump in. Our first thing we want to accomplish is why knowing God matters. And so I would say that biblical theology always starts with knowing God. Biblical theology always starts with knowing God. In fact, I think, I don't think this is too bold, I think all great thinking starts with knowing God. All great thinking about any topic. So, um, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs it says, um, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? And, and I think... 
um, that that's exactly true. So if you want to do great thinking about politics, about how we can live together in community and share life together with, with our neighbors, or, or, or if you want to do great thinking about culture or entertainment or marriage or child rearing or friendship, I think all of that, ultimately, great thinking is going to flow from who our Creator is. And so if we want to think rightly about all these important questions, I think it's going to start with God. But certainly, any theological questions is going to start with the identity of God. So all theological thinking begins with God. That's a blank there. I just want to emphasize how important this idea of God is. If we don't understand God, we will struggle, that's your next blank, to understand the downstream questions about who we are and how we relate to Him. So if you think about our world in 2018, certainly a lot could be said that's of good things that are going on. Standard of living is, is, has risen dramatically over the past 150 years. Um, free markets are spreading across the world, which for the most part has been a positive thing. Of course, there's some negative things that come with the kind of consumerism and materialism. Uh, we're talking about the Olympics. I mean, it's kind of cool all these nations come together to do Olympics. There's also, I think, especially in Western culture, though, I think we have to admit there is kind of a, um, a spiritual vacuum. And I mean that kind of spiritual in the, um, not necessarily in the just kind of religious sense, but spiritual in the what does it mean to be human? What is our identity? Uh, if you look at any kind of polls or really anything, um, human health and human psychology has deteriorated pretty significantly over the past generation. So depression rates are up, suicide rates are up, loneliness is up, the proportion of people who describe their lives as, quote, happy has decreased by about 10% over the last 20 years. I and mean, we, we are kind of in a um, existential, psychological, kind of weird spot right now. And so we've got all these questions about how do we live together, how do we share life, what are, um, you know, how can we do better in uh, political questions, entertainment questions, cultural questions. I think part of the problem is um, that we are trying to answer downstream questions when really the most important questions are foundational, right? So if you're trying to figure out, um, if we were in Colin Anna's house here and it like um, was really having trouble because the foundation was broken, right? And so the house is kind of crumbling, but we're really worried about like, how can we get the more sunlight in here and adjusting the windows, right? I think, I think that's a temptation in life is we're focused, we see problems in our culture, tension between um, racial, ethnic, even religious groups, and we focus on that when really the more important questions are, what does it mean to be human and how do we relate to our Creator? So. Um, I think that's just a really important principle to, to, to understand why I think thinking and knowing God is so important. And so that's why I think it was worth it is worth spending five weeks thinking about it. So this is a quote from Tozer. I'll do a lot tonight of quoting people smarter than me and trying to connect some of their thoughts together in a, in a way that, that makes sense. Obviously, we're studying this book by Tozer, so I'll quote him a lot, but we'll quote a few other people too. I think both Grant and Eric, and maybe Kyle too, has, has said something similar to this thought or by Tozer, which comes earlier in the book, not in the chapters I'm covering tonight, but an attribute is something God is, not something God has. This uh, puts us in a, an area of thinking that is almost, almost pushes beyond like what you can communicate with language, but I, I think it's important that we just kind of say it over and over. So if you think about goodness, right, that was an attribute we talked about a while ago, we don't want to, to define goodness as we see it in our world and say this is what God is like. Right? Actually, the exact opposite is going on. God exists as the greatest possible being, and His nature 
is in is totally captivated by goodness. It's who he is. And so what we see in the world is good is just a manifestation, imperfect as it may be, of what God actually is. So an attribute is not something that God has. It's something that God is. So God doesn't simply have graciousness. God doesn't simply have mercy. God is gracious and God is merciful, right? So that's, that's what it means to be God, which explains God's behavior through uh, centuries it explains the story of the Bible. God's actions in history are Him manifesting His attributes on historical events, right? So, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through, uh, especially in the cross and how that fits together. So this is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's called the Prince of Preachers. So he maybe was the first kind of mega church preacher, if you want to use that language. Of course, the, most of Christian history, churches were not these kind of large churches that people drove to in cars and uh, parked in, in the parking lots. You know, if churches met in homes or maybe a neighborhood would collect their money and, and build a, a little church building in like the, the center of the neighborhood. But Spurgeon was a preacher in London, and he had a church like 2,000 people like a century and a half ago. It was really kind of an odd, uh, unusual thing for uh, Christian life in that time. A lot of his sermons inspired the people who would launch the First Great Awakening. They heard Spurgeon preach, and it ignited a fire in them to plant churches and spread the gospel. It's really influential. A lot of my favorite preachers today quote Spurgeon a lot. He just had a really a deep influence also had a way with words. I think when I read this quote, you'll just think, man, this guy could, could paint a picture, had a silver tongue, so to speak, could say things really elegantly. And here's how he described thinking about God. Spurgeon says, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the intention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great, your blank there, God, whom he calls his Father. So those blanks are... A, those blanks kind of over and over again in this first section are about God because I just want to emphasize how important God and who He is matters. And so what Spurgeon's saying here is kind of one of these things we all know, but it's kind of good to be explicit about it. I spend an enormous—is that an inordinate amount of time uh, during my day thinking about things that really don't matter. Um, uh, during football season, I'd be thinking about fantasy football or college football or recruiting or what in the world is wrong with like Tennessee's athletic department as a whole. It's just like a toxic disaster. Right? So I, I think about that stuff a lot. And I'm not saying that's necessarily sinful, but the greatest thing that, the, that can captivate the human mind is the person of God, our Creator, our Father, and what He is and who He is. And so I do think it's worth spending five weeks, you know, an, an hour a week, for five weeks in a row, really diving into who the person of God is. Because you can't be a full image bearer, a f fully developed human, if you don't understand who your Creator is and how you interact and have relationship with Him. And um, so here's Paul, who I, I want to say that he's saying the same thing Spurgeon was saying, but I guess Spurgeon was saying the same thing that Paul was saying uh, would be a, a certainly a better way to say it. So Paul says... Uh, he's praying here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. 
just look at kind of the second half of the verse there. Paul's praying for the revelation and the knowledge of Him, talking about God. And so once we know about God, we can have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we may know what is the hope to which He has called you. So how do we know the hope that God's called us to? How do we know the riches of the inheritance that we have as the saints? Well, it begins with knowing God. And so it's, a, I think, a really serious uh, Christian enterprise, a way to love God with our minds, is to think about who God is and how we relate to Him. Tozer said, one of the biggest problems of the church is the loss of the proper concept of what God is like. One of the big problems of the church is the loss of the proper concept of what God is like. So Spurgeon wrote this like over half a century ago. I think the problem is probably worse today than it was then. Really, I think there's been a trend in kind of Western thinking, especially in American thinking. Uh, we've become more individualistic. We've become wealthier uh, as, a, as a culture since then. We've become more materialistic. We've become more kind of self-satisfied and comfortable. So we rely and need God less. And so our preaching has changed in the church. So I guess two series ago, you remember we talked about this false gospels. Uh, series or, or false doctrine series. One of the lessons was on false gospels, and we talked about three different false gospels. We talked about the political gospel, we talked about the uh, social justice gospel, and we talked about the health and wealth gospel. Right, and so the political gospel was this idea that that the the role of 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 God in the world and the role of Christianity was to make America uh, strong and vibrant and successful as a, as a as a nation and the social justice gospel had kind of the the heart or the goal of the gospel was something like to create a um, a fair and equitable society and that was kind of the message of the gospel and then the health the health and wealth gospel was it was God's job to make us kind of his pets to be healthy and wealthy and to kind of satisfy almost like a Santa Claus in the sky so to speak. And there's churches all across the landscape of Western culture who are really committed to all three of those views of the gospel. And that's what's preached on Sunday morning is, you know, let's, you know, America, America turn back to God. Or, you know, we need to make the world more equal and fair. Or um, God wants to bless you if you use these, like, words of power. You know, I mean, if you turn on TV, you're going to see people preaching that. It's, of course, more complicated than just a simple answer. But I think... Most of the answer can be explained when we have an improper view of God. So we have a not a God-centered worldview. We have a man-centered worldview. So we elevate ourselves, our own existence, our own political preferences, our own pleasures and satisfactions in the world beyond that of God. So if you have a low view of God and a high view of man, you're going to be prone to heresy. You're going to be prone to poor thinking and uh, bad teaching about who God is. So what, we, what we want to have is a humble... Um, posture when we think about who God is. God, We don't set the terms and then see if God's behavior and conduct in the world measures up to our standards. God as our creator sets the terms and we, uh, our goal is to be obedient and to seek relationship with Him on His terms. He's our creator. So I think this is right. The biggest problem in the church is the loss of the proper concept of what God is like. If we think God is, if your God is too small, then He's not really God. He's a figment of your imagination. Okay, so here's a discussion question I want to talk about. How does knowing God help us think and live the Christian life? Should we pause it? Uh, we can. Okay. Okay, some good thoughts there on the discussion question. Um, kind of press on here. So here's the, that's the first thing we we'll talk about. Why is this important? Second thing we we'll talk about is just understanding mercy and grace. So uh, we're going to talk about this a little more abstract what are 
mercy and grace, and then we'll talk about how we can apply those to God. So divine mercy and grace is based on the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? What is the righteousness of God? So the idea of righteousness is the idea of true. So um, the <clears throat> I don't want to pretend that I'm like a biblical language scholar, but I guess I've read people that talk about some of these ideas, and so I'm just kind of repeating things that I've read. Um, but the origin of the word is kind of similar to the words that would be used to like describe an arrow that was running directly on its course. So if you're, you're righteous, you're true, you're going the direction that you're supposed to go. So a big important topic in the New Testament, something we probably ought to talk about more than we do, is the righteousness of God. That's one of the things Paul talks about we want. We want the righteousness of God. And what that means is God's trueness to himself. Right, And so if God is true to himself as the greatest possible being, then he is going to manifest mercy and grace because those are two of his important attributes. All right, so mercy, let's, let's define some terms here. The book says you have to be a professional theologian to understand the difference between mercy and grace. So that's a problem because I'm not a professional theologian, very much just kind of a... Uh, lay Christian trying to, to know God better. Um, so we're all going to really try hard to, to catch this. But I, I, I think they're, of course, related. But the, disting the uh, distinction is really important and I think helps us understand both better how they're different. So mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So you may have seen... Um, your blank there is mercy. You may have seen like a movie and someone says, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. So what are they asking for? They're, they are saying, I deserve to be punished. And they're asking the court to not give them the punishment that they deserve. All right, so, so mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So, so it's, it's kind of the... Uh, two sides of the same coin, so to speak. But grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. So your blank there is grace. So a good way to think about it is mercy is not getting what you do deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Maybe you guys are tired of these kind of analogies because y'all are young and hip and haven't started uh, having your families yet, yeah, I, I guess, unless someone has an announcement to make later. Um, don't do it while we're podcasting. Um, but I do think... <laughs> uh, I do think um, just one of the ways as a parent, I'm going to see God more in His, you know, His nature as a father. And so I see examples um, in parenting all the time about this. So I, I, th I thought this was kind of helpful to me to think about this way. But I think about how I interact with our children, really both of them, maybe especially our son, but really, really both. Um, a lot of times you might, I might catch them or see them doing something that, that they know is wrong and I know is wrong, right? And so the, really the most fair consequence here would be punishment of, of some sort. Sometimes I don't uh, enforce punishment on my children even though they deserve punishment. Sometimes, because maybe, hopefully this isn't most of the time, but sometimes I'm being lazy and it's easier just to, to kind of look the other way and pretend it didn't happen. But sometimes intentionally, right? I can think of like times recently, like I might have sat down with Crawford and we just talked about, well, you're a big boy now, and so what does it mean to be a what? What does it mean to be a big boy? And you're trying to become a man, and so how you know you made a wrong decision? How can we make a better decision? But then we'll withhold punishment because 
because I love him, and I, I think there's maybe already been like a growth opportunity there, and it, we don't necessarily have to have a spanking or a timeout or, or whatever. So uh, there's mercy there. There's not giving him what he does deserve. And hopefully, if he can see that in me as his father, at some point later he can connect that to a much more important father, a heavenly father that doesn't give him what he does deserve. Grace, I think, I see that a lot in how Lauren interacts with our kids, right? So she loves them in ways that are absurd and ridiculous for what they do deserve, right? So like, you know, spends the first six, eight months of their life, like getting up in the middle of the night, feeding them, changing diapers, like, you know, Allie didn't do anything to deserve that kind of love except like come into the world, right? How And, and how could they ever repay that love they couldn't i mean the, the bank account is just like it could never be repaid being loved that way you know lauren's given up her whole life to invest in their life right it's totally undeserved it's just total grace total graciousness and so that i think that's a one way to think about how god's mercy and grace is our kind of heavenly father heavenly parent how he interacts and thinks about uh, us so here's a quote that has really influenced me a lot this is from francis schaefer who I think is probably one of the most important Christian thinkers in the past 150 years. In some ways, he's kind of a prophet. He, some things he said, I don't mean that like in the biblical sense, but I'm just saying some things he said about the world and about culture and things he wrote have just happened exactly the way that he talked about it. He kind of foresaw the postmodern secular rise in Western culture and even into America really before it happened and, and warned Christians about what we're, how we're thinking, how we're viewing God, what we're, what we're preaching. Uh, it was kind of maybe a couple decades before his time. Here's a quote that I think will cross you at first is untrue. I think you'll disagree with it when you first read it. And I think that, that kind of tension you feel in your heart will give us an opportunity to maybe have a conversation about it. So Schaefer said, If I had one hour with every man, I would spend the first 45 minutes talking to them about God's law and the last 15 minutes talking about His great salvation. So your blanks there. The first one is law, and the second one is salvation. So we could maybe quibble with the ratio here. Um, maybe that's a little off, but I, I think his point is well taken and we ought to consider maybe the ratio that he's come up with. So why would you spend three-fourths of your time talking about God's law and only one-fourth of your time talking about His salvation and His love of sinners? The reason is because God's salvation makes no sense if you don't understand His character and His law and how you violated them, right? So I think a way to think about it is if you're a lifeguard and you're wanting to save people, throwing a life preserver at people walking on the sidewalk would not be, uh, would not create an excitement or appreciation from anyone. They would think, why are you throwing life preserver at me? I, like, I don't need a life preserver right now. There's nothing wrong uh, with what I'm doing. I'm not in any danger at all. But if you were throwing life preservers to people who were drowning in the ocean, would be met with great excitement and great appreciation and uh, would be something worth holding on to, be worth something really basing your whole existence on. I'm going to hold on to this life preserver because it's all I've got. I'm so desperate for this life preserver. And, of course, the spiritual problem is we're all drowning, right? All of us, not just, not just those that don't go to church on Sunday. All of us are drowning and we're absorbed in our um, depraved, fleshly, sinful nature. And as that stands against a just and righteous God, so God who will be true to His justice, we need 
a Savior, right? But if you're not um, compelled or convinced that God is a big God who will judge sin, then the message of His grace and His mercy will fall on deaf ears. And so if you want to preach the gospel, if you want to preach God's grace, if you want to preach God's mercy, it can't be heard in a context in which God's justice, God's holiness, and God's law are not first believed. Right? And so we live in a culture, of course, which feels very uncomfortable talking about things like the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, the justice of God. And so if you live in that kind of culture and you skip to the part of the gospel about how God loves you and God wants to forgive you, it's not very meaningful because no one in our culture thinks they need to be forgiven of much. Right? Almost everybody thinks I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, but... Uh, you know, we, we, most of the time, distract ourselves enough to prevent ourselves from thinking through the depth of our own sin and selfishness. And I'm pretty good at that, right? When, it, when, when I have a quiet enough moment and I feel kind of reality coming at me hard enough, I get my phone out and you know, check rivals or maybe see what's on Netflix. You know, we're pretty good about distracting ourselves from the truth of our own conversations. Maybe my favorite part of the whole Bible is kind of the middle of Romans 3. Um, so Romans 3.21 is a famous verse, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. right? And then 22, but are justified freely by His grace. Okay, so that's kind of the context here. Paul's talking about how we've all sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, then presses on into Romans 3.26. I'm sorry, that was, that was Romans 3, 23 and 24, not 21. Uh, so 23 is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 24 is we um, are justified freely by His grace. 26 is talking about why this happened. So why, why did God want to justify us through Jesus? It was to show His righteousness. All right, so there's that word again. God did this. God sent Jesus to die. Yes, for your sake. Yes, because God loves you. But don't miss this. Like a huge part of the cross, maybe even the reason for the cross, was it was about God. It was about maintaining the righteousness of God. So because of the cross, God is righteous so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you can get the whole Bible in this verse. Okay? So the, the whole thing is here if you're if you're willing to kind of spend enough time to unpack it. So God's righteous. That's the first thing I'd say. God's going to be true to his character. So his character is, is what? It's both holy and just. So it's a holy and just is kind of one principle of his character. The other principle of his character is he's radically loving. He's radically gracious. He wants to forgive and love you. So these two principles of God exist in tension, but God is righteous. So he's not going to... An unrighteous God could say, well, I'm just going to... to um, condemn all sin. I'm just going to condemn everyone because I don't love my image bearers. Or an unrighteous God could say, eh, don't worry about it. I'll just be in the presence of sin. And y'all, you know, everybody just come in. I'm okay. You're okay. You know, my, you know, might wear skinny jeans and, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. But he would, you know, he, God would, could just, an unrighteous God could overlook your sin. Right? Um, <laughs> but a righteous God can't. Right? So a righteous God is going to both maintain accordance with his justice and with his love. So God is just. He punishes sin. Right, The second person of the Trinity came in the form of a man and was murdered because God hates sin so much. 
But he also is the justifier, meaning he loves you. He wants to forgive. He wants to put you in right standing before him. That's why the second person of the Trinity became a man and died on the cross, because God loves you so much. So the cross is about, among other things, maintaining God's righteousness. So here's what Tozer said. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. I think I've kind of gone around it, gone around on this concept already, but I, um, Tozer says it better than I can. If you have a low view of God, you're going to miss the gospel. You're going to miss the whole thing. And you're going to be really prone to heresy like the gospels uh, that we talked about in the, in the last series, the false gospels. Okay, so maybe we can process this a little bit um, with a discussion question here. So how does misunderstanding God prevent us from understanding His attributes of mercy and grace? Press on here with our third and final point that we wanted to make tonight. And this is the mercy and graciousness of God. So how does these attributes, the idea of uh, mercy not getting what you do deserve and grace, getting what you don't deserve. How do those play out in the character of God? So we're going to say that from the fullness of God flows undeserved compassion. Undeserved compassion, that's mercy. You might want to circle that and write mercy underneath it. And unmerited favor, that's grace. Right. So undeserved compassion, that's compassion you don't deserve, that's mercy. Unmerited favor, that's grace. So God's mercy. Tozer says, if God had not been merciful... There would have been no incarnation, no babe in the manger, no man on the cross, and no open tomb. What in the world? Like, that seems like such a bold, stark claim. I think what he's saying here is that we deserve God's justice, right? If God was not merciful, he would not have done things to prevent us from receiving what we did deserve. And so the whole life of Jesus, the babe in the manger... Uh, the man on the cross and the open tomb, those were all manifestations of God's righteousness, God's trueness, God's um, efforts to maintain His justice, His righteousness, while also being merciful. So God extends mercy. The babe in the manger is a manifestation of God's mercy, of God acting in a way to not give His image bearers what they do deserve. So mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. There's a caricature of God that in the Old Testament God is wrathful and vengeful and then somehow in the New Testament there's this different unique picture of God. I think this is a, a cool time to point out the word mercy is used four times as much in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. So it's the same God that's merciful all through Scripture. And the reason is because it's the same God who has His divine plan to deliver mercy to the whole world through Jesus Christ. So there's different religious movements. There's different ways to think about um, religious questions. Christianity is a religion for the whole world, right? There's no corner of the earth. There's no person that's ever been born that God does not desire to extend mercy to in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So we'll talk later about missions and uh, uh, those who have never heard and how we interact uh, with a world of suffering and a world of spiritual lostness. But it, just enough now to say that, that the mission of Jesus is for everyone, right? And so God's mercy from creation until now it's the same God and it's the same attribute that's manifesting itself. So here's a, a famous mercy verse, so to speak, in Lamentations. Probably not the book you thought we would quote if we're talking about mercy. 
Um, but look at this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. That's a good definition of mercy, right? We're not consumed. Why? Because God loves us. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, those are going to be closely related. God is faithful to His character, which is the same thing to say that God is righteous. And so great is His faithfulness because He has compassion on us that never fails. And because of that, still working backwards to this verse, we are not consumed. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible about God's mercy is from Psalms 103 here. And I'll just read it. Maybe just let... Um, I don't want to be too abstract here, but just maybe just let the Word of God kind of fall over you as you think about God's mercy, not in an abstract way towards everyone else in the world, but towards you. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So verse 10 there, that could, that could just as easily say, he treats us with mercy, right? That's what that says. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. Just to kind of maybe finally finalize the point, notice that there is no mercy without sins or iniquities, right? So if you did not have any sins or you did not have any iniquities, it would not matter if, he, if we were not dealt with according to your sins or repaid justly for your iniquities, right? So the idea of mercy presupposes sin. There is no mercy without sin. There is no guilty man in the courtroom saying, have mercy on me, judge, if the man in the courtroom is, is not guilty, right? An innocent man says, give me justice. <laughs> Declare me innocent. A guilty man says, I need your mercy, right? And so we come to God not as innocent, perfect men and women. We come to God as a guilty sinner asking for his mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's Psalms 103, 8-13. We'll press on here and we'll kind of have a, this final discussion at the end, but maybe just to consider, um, many view the God of the Bible as harsh and vengeful. Do you agree with this? Why or why not? So, last and final point I want to make is just to think about grace as it applies to God. So grace is that in God which brings into favor one justly in disfavor. A.W. Tozer. So this is somebody who would justly be punished but receives something that he doesn't deserve, which is God's grace. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. So you did not deserve and I did not deserve to receive justification from God to be declared righteous in God's sight. We certainly didn't deserve the gift of the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us, that gives us the opportunity to live abundant life in Christ, right? These are things that there's nothing that you got up and did this morning. There's no amount of Bible reading you did. There's no amount of watching rated R movies that you abstain from. There's no... Um, you know, personal Bible reading plan or church attendance cards. There's nothing that you did to earn or deserve God's favor, right? It's a free gift. 
here's how um, here's how John says it in John one, maybe one of the most eloquent uh, passages in the whole Bible. So John one sixteen, he says, "For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace." So more succinctly, John says here kind of what I've been trying to say the whole lesson. So where does this grace come from? It comes from the fullness, the character of God. So God in His fullness, His character overflows in righteousness to His character. From His fullness, we get grace upon grace. So John almost like awkwardly repeats himself here. From His fullness, we receive free gift upon free gift. Like It's so, it's so amazing, so graceful that He uh, says it twice. Which leads us to our final question, which we'll discuss in just a second. Has anyone here ever been gracious to you? Does that impact how you see God's grace towards you? So we'll finish. This is my last slide. Really a cool quote from Tozer here. But the man who has an adequate conception of God will not only believe in the love of God, but also in the holiness of God. He will not only believe in the mercy of God, but also the justice of God. So we live in a pendulum swinging culture, right? And so the mistakes, theological or cultural or political of one generation, the next generation's desire is to do the opposite. And so what almost always happens is we make the opposite mistake, right? So one generation emphasizes uh, the holiness of God, and the next generation in emphasizes the graciousness of God, and both generations maybe miss the beauty of uplifting both of these attributes of God and celebrating them and worshiping God for that. For that, right? You see this, in, like I said, in politics. You see this a lot. You have maybe one politician who makes errors on one side, so then we say, well, we want the opposite of that, so you just make the opposite error. So what, what I really want to encourage us to do is to not be uh, pendulum thinkers. Don't just swing one way and do the opposite of the mistake that you see in the past, but to uplift the full truth of reality, right, in life, and family, in conversations with friends, but especially as you think about God, right? So don't think about God in like a reactionary way. Like, I know Jim from uh, church growing up, he was you know, a Pharisee, or he was too legalistic, so I'm going to be the opposite of Jim. Or I know... Um, John, who was a, you know, he was like a, a hippie. God loves everybody. He had no concept of God's righteousness and justice. So I'm going to be the opposite of that. Uh, don't make that mistake. Define God the way that the Word of God defines God. And think about God in a way that really celebrates all of His attributes. Because I think uh, that's just going to be a much more healthier view of God, which ultimately is going to make your soul more healthy and your relationship with God richer and deeper. All right, and so that is the attributes of God, mercy, and grace. Okay, so thank you, David, for doing a great job. There was some discussion that we edited out just in the interest of time. You can discuss those questions with us uh, via the Internet or in person if you want to come. There's a lot of good discussion, as always. We're going to wrap this series next week. I will uh, be leading on holiness and perfection. So talk about the holiness of God, the perfection of God. And that'll be it for the attributes of God and this question of who is God. Hopefully we uh, end this with a greater appreciation of who God is. We will then actually have uh, what we're calling an outreach group. We haven't decided exactly what we'll do with that, but it will be um, probably discussing uh, the basics of the gospel, 
maybe in a different location, or maybe it'll be just a meeting where we have dinner together, something that everyone could come to. And then we'll move into our series on apologetics, and that's gonna be great, a lot of scientific topics that are really wonderful, uh, the thing on the, his the historicity of uh, the resurrection, um, and a bunch of other great stuff. So I, I think you'll really enjoy that one. Hope you're having a great week. Hope your studies are going well. Uh, if you ever want to drop us a line, you can find us on Facebook, the MDDDS um, Facebook page. And also we have a, a private forum that you can request to join. It's just supposed to be for people who are associated with this group. Uh, I, you know, medical, dental students, but you know, if you're a healthcare professional or a healthcare student in town, uh, you're also welcome. And that's all I got. It's been a, it's been a busy week already and it's just Monday. Uh, so I hope the rest of your week is great. We will see you next week. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.